on holiday. I'm thinking, oh my word, Ephesians, tough stuff coming up. I've, I've got to do a lot of work studying on that. And then just felt the Lord say, well, don't then. I went, what? <laughs> Why don't you do something? It's a summer break. Let's yeah. take a break from yeah. that level of study where I have to work, you know, yeah. very hard to get Amen. things together. Do something which, I won't say it's easier, but, you know, the, Jesus said every scribe in the kingdom of God goes to the treasure chest and brings out things both new and old. Yeah? There are things you, you know, as a, as a preacher or teacher, you work on things which are new. You're developing something. And there's other things which you, you, you've done a number of times. And I've not gone back and found old notes, but I've just written back up together things that I know well from the past. And I want to do a little series for maybe five weeks on grace, the grace of God. And we'll come back to Ephesians maybe early September. By the way, let me remind you now, we have John Glass with us again on September the 16th. Oh, hallelujah. All right? Brilliant. So you might want to bring a friend to that too. All right. Tremendous, tremendous brother and friend and man of God. So let's pray together on this subject of grace. I don't know if you know how to open your heart to the Lord to receive from him, but Maybe you better figure that out in this moment. You say something to him like, I'm here, Lord, you know me. You know where I am, you know where I'm, where I'm at, kind of thing, in circumstances and feelings. Speak to me today, Father, about your grace. Holy Spirit, teach me something from God's word, I pray. Lord Jesus, we open our hearts to you to receive your word of grace, which is able to build us up and give us an inheritance amongst those who are sanctified. We want to receive it into our hearts the way that this thirsty soil has been receiving this rain this last 24 hours. We want to be refreshed. We want to be built up. We want to be uh, energized by your truth. So help us, Holy Spirit, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm going to read to you, first of all, from Romans. And my eyesight must be getting worse because I can't even read my giant print Bible now. Um, <laughs> If you've got a Bible with you or you've got an iPad, text device, smart device, flip over to Romans, end of chapter 4. I'm going to paraphrase the last two verses of chapter 4 and then read through chapter 5 with you. Romans 5 verse 4, picking up there, paraphrasing so we catch the context. Righteousness will be credited to us who believe in him who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead. He, Jesus, was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. Chapter 5 verse 1. Therefore, since we have been declared righteous by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. We have also obtained access through him by faith into this grace in which we stand and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Two words there that you'll hear me say a few times these next couple of weeks. Grace and glory. And not only that, but we also rejoice in our afflictions. Oh, really? Oh, wow. Because we know that affliction produces endurance. Endurance produces proven character, and proven character produces hope. This 
hope will not disappoint us because God's love has been poured out in our hearts through the Holy Spirit who is given to us. For while we were still helpless, at the appointed moment Christ died for the ungodly. For rarely will someone die for a just person, though for a good person perhaps someone might even dare to die. But God proves his own love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than since we've now been declared righteous by his blood, we will be saved through him from wrath, from final judgment. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, then how much more, having been reconciled, will we be saved by his life? That's an ongoing thing. And not only that, but we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ. We have now received this reconciliation through him. Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man, through Adam, and death through sin, in this way death, death spread to all men because all sinned. In fact, sin was in the world before the law, but sin is not charged to a person's account where there is no law. Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those who did not sin in the likeness of Adam's transgression, that is to say, in the manner that he did. He is a prototype of the coming one. But the gift is not like the trespass. For if by the one man's trespass or sin many died, how much more have the grace of God and the gift overflowed to the many by the grace of this one man, Jesus Christ. The gift is not like the one man's sin because the one sin came through the one man's sin came judgment resulting in condemnation. But from many trespasses came the gift resulting in justification. Since by the one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man. How much more will those who receive the overflow of grace and the gift of righteousness reign in life? Do you want to underline those words? Amen. How much more will those who have received this overflow of grace and the gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ? So then, as through one trespass, there is condemnation for everyone. So also, through one righteous act, that is to say, the giving of himself on the cross, Jesus, there is life-giving justification for everyone. For just as through one man's disobedience, the many were made disobedient, were made sinners, sorry. So also, through the one man's obedience, the many will be made righteous. The law came along to multiply the trespass, but where sin multiplied, grace multiplied even more, so that just as sin reigned in death, so also grace will reign through righteousness, resulting in eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Now, I'm not going to preach all of that this morning. You appreciate that. But there'll be bits of it we pick up as we go along over the coming weeks. If I use the word grace this morning, that's shorthand. What I mean by that is the grace of God, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Grace points to the will of God, the love of God, the power of God, the goodness of God that works for us. It's God at work by his goodness, out of his good heart towards us. Grace was won for us and sealed to us in the new covenant, the covenant of grace by the Lord Jesus. This cup is the new covenant. Covenant of what? The covenant of grace, not law anymore. Grace. 
And the Holy Spirit brings grace to us. In fact, both in Zechariah and Hebrews, he's called the Spirit of grace. He communicates help from heaven to us, God's children. So a few headlines as we go along. Grace is not just mercy. You go through the epistles and just read the first few lines of each letter in the Bible. Epistle. And some of the epistles start with the greeting, grace to you. Some start with grace and mercy. And twice at least, Paul says, grace, mercy, and peace. Now, if an inspired writer of scripture puts mercy alongside grace, then they're not the same. There's a difference. There's something more about grace than mercy. Grace can include mercy, but it is not just mercy. Mercy is wonderful. Let me talk about mercy for a moment. The creed, the Apostles' Creed says, we believe in the forgiveness of sins. We do, don't we? We believe that no matter what someone has done, they can be forgiven through the grace and mercy of God. I think it was Adolf Eichmann who was captured by the Jewish uh, um, secret service and smuggled back to Jerusalem and put on trial for his war crimes in the Second World War, you know, in the Holocaust and so on. And there was an American pastor who got told to go and preach the gospel to Adolf Eichmann and he got to Israel and had to persuade them to let him in to see the man. Uh, The story is that the man, Adolf Eichmann, really made no response, but a a Christian preacher was provoked in his heart to go and say to this man, listen, you're going to die for your sins because the the justice system here in Israel is going to execute you. But you don't have to go to hell for your sins. There is forgiveness of sins. That's probably one of the most powerful illustrations of that. That's what we believe. That's what the gospel tells us. There is forgiveness of sins. John writes that the thing that every, even the newest or youngest believer, he calls them my, the my little children, you know, in John, John's, got, John's epistle. Even the youngest, newest Christian should know without doubt, I have been forgiven because of Jesus. My guilt has gone. My shame has gone because of what Jesus did in our place on the cross. The start of Revelation and the song of the redeemed further on praises him who has washed us from our sins by the blood of the Lamb. Powerful imagery there. It's as if Jesus has washed us not with water but by his own blood. To make us cleansed, purified. Now there's Old Testament imagery in that because of course people were sprinkled with the blood of a sacrifice and that made them holy. It removed their guilt so they could enter into the presence of God. And we are not just sprinkled, we're what? Not just on on an occasion but for all time. Cleansed from our sin. But if grace starts there, it doesn't stop there. That is not the end of the gospel, that's the beginning of the gospel. Grace may include mercy, and it does, but grace is more than mercy. Mercy may forgive or remit a crime, a transgression or sin, but grace, as we shall see next week particularly, does more than that. Let me give you an illustration. Let's suppose a man has been put on trial for a crime. Now, he's been accused of that, he's been processed for that, the the charge has been brought against him, the police have processed him. He's been in prison on remand awaiting this trial. But when he goes to the court, he's found not guilty and he's released. That's that's justice, not mercy, you understand, but get the illustration. But that man now 
comes out and he's lost months of his life. He's got to go around trying to pick up the threads of a life that's been wrecked and broken. I want to say this to you. Grace is greater than being acquitted. It gives you a new life. It empowers you to a new life. You're not just let off, let go. You're given equipment to live a new life. Grace takes hold of a forgiven sinner and makes him a child of God, a joint heir with Christ. Grace, as we see next week, teaches us, equips us, empowers us to live a new life in God's goodness. So we live in the expression that I like. I, was, I thought I got it from, so I looked for the quote, but maybe I, maybe I wrote it. We live by the grace of God for the glory of God. Let's just define grace a bit more. God's grace is God's goodness shown to us. The ancient declaration you find running through the Psalms and through the, 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 the uh, songs in, in uh, 1 Chronicles and so on you've been reading recently is the Lord is good and his mercy, and there's different ways of translating the Hebrew word there, uh, loving kindness, covenant love, enduring love, endures for ever. ever. We sing it, don't we, the Israel house, the Lord you are good and your mercy endureth for But we've got to think of the words. This is, you know, Moses said, Lord, I, I pray you, show me your glory. Right? And God put on a display of majesty, but the voice he heard said, the Lord, the Lord, holy, almighty, displaying goodness, faithful love to generation after generation of those who fear. What God declared, it says, was his goodness. He visually showed something of his glory, majesty, but what, day, what, what, what Moses heard was his goodness. Grace is God's goodness directed to us, poured out upon us, thrown down on us from heaven. Grace is a way of speaking about this continuing, enduring goodness of God to us. That's the sum, of course, of the end of Romans 8, you know? You all know all things work together for good for those who love God and so on. He who has begun his work of grace in us will complete it. He who has called a people to himself will complete them and bring them home to himself, to his glory. Nothing can separate us from the love of God. And in all things, he works, it doesn't just work out, he works for the good of those who love him, whom he's called himself by his ungracious purpose. It's about his goodness, his sheer goodness. Is God good? Yes. I know we chant it, yeah, we chant it all the time. But we need to, we need to register that, like tick it up, keep ticking it up in our hearts. Our God is good. Will he do us good? Yes. Unfailingly. But is he wise enough to judge for me what is good for me and what is not good for me? Yes. Then when I ask him for something, I've got to say, you know, but I trust your wisdom. Yes. Yes. I trust your goodness. If that isn't a good idea, Lord, you know better than me. Yes. Yeah? Yes. Because he's good. He has only good Intention yes. towards his children. Another good song we sing is the good, good father. 
good, good Father. We need to be convinced of the goodness of God in the hard times, in the times where we don't think we're getting what we asked for. And part of that is really pride, what we think we deserve. Grace is God's goodness, not just displayed to us, but hitting us, affecting us, delivering from heaven. Grace is, of course, I need to say this clearly, unmerited, undeserved, unearned. It's not connected to any work on our part. If we earned something, God would owe us wages, but he acts in grace. And the Bible is very clear about that. God is never paying us wages. He acts in grace. Jesus even told a story about people who, who were put in the field to work. And the people who only worked one hour at the end of the day got a penny for the day, just the same as someone who worked 12 hours. And they said, that's not fair! Isn't, it, isn't that true? We never grow out of that, do we, that kind of reaction. Little kids, that's not fair. We're still doing it when we're in our 50s and 60s. Ooh, that's not fair. Maybe even more. Fair has nothing to do with it. He said, am I, I, am I unable to do what I want to do? In grace. God is able to do whatever he wants to do. In grace. He owes us nothing. He owes us nothing. He never owes us anything. Nothing that we do earns or attracts the grace of God. In that sense, it's true grace. Free grace, sorry. We contribute nothing. And to refer back to Ephesians 2, which we've done a few, many weeks ago, no, many months ago. No. The grace of God is the gift of God through Jesus Christ. And it comes even with the gift of faith, which is not of ourselves, it's of God. God gives us grace. God gives us faith. We become alive in him through new birth. And it's all of his grace. Yes. Yet, grace was incredibly costly. When God, through the prophet Isaiah, invites us to come, those who are without money, and eat and drink and receive, it's not going to cost you anything. And that's a great gospel call. Come, it's not going to cost you anything. It'll cost you the death of your old life, but, you know. Should you, be, should you be sorry with that? If you still love your old life, you better go back to it then. It'll cost you your old way of life. Talk about the love of God or the grace of God. And the problem is many people imagine a kind of Father Christmas figure beaming on us. People come up with this hollow idea about God. People don't mind hearing God is good, God will forgive, God is love. But what they don't want to hear is that God is good having dealt with his justice. That he is rightly, deservingly the judge of all, the judge of all humanity. And it's only when he's dealt with his justice that he can show his goodness. Because we all, as we read there, and we could have, you know, this of Romans 3 as well, we were all without help. You know, the Bible describes us in this way. If you're not a Christian, if you're someone who's not born of God, you are helpless. You think you're alive, but really you're dead towards God. You don't have the life you should have. We think we're smart, but we're not. We're blind. 
We think we're clever, but we're not. We're unwise. We don't know how to live the right way. We are helpless. That's the way the Bible describes us. We need grace to invade our lives, to bring us to anywhere useful and sensible. So God had to deal with his justice so as to be gracious to us. So we read it there in Romans 5. I can't begin to give in at all. But only by putting Jesus on the cross and then raising him from the dead could God be just and justify, call righteous those who trust in Christ. That's the deal. You're counted righteous not because of what you are, but because of what he did. And that was the love of God that placed his eternal son on the cross. Now that, that's scary love. The love of God which would place on it the eternal son on the cross to die in our place is for me breathtaking, jaw-dropping, heart-stopping. It's awesome. It's strong. It's even scary. It reminds me of Song of Solomon, love is stronger than death. This love has nothing to do with hearts and flowers and greeting card sentiments. The nearest I can think or imagine to, that, to describing this kind of love, this fierce, strong love, is to imagine a father rushing to defend his family, his fears overcome by the need to protect, to protect them at any cost. Strong, fierce, devoted love. So death, sorry, grace, free grace. Yes, it's free grace, but it's been paid for by a cosmic cost, the death of the Son of God. So when we cheapen grace, guess what we are devaluing? Him. When we make grace easy, oh, it doesn't matter, God will forgive me. We insult the spirit of grace. We insult the sacrifice of Christ. There's a story uh, about a missionary in Africa and there were uh, people, I think it was in West Africa and I think it was a, a Francophile country, one of the old French colonies. And he was working there and he came across a French businessman who was notorious for the way he behaved in the town. I mean, everybody knew about him, you know, his uh, behaviour. I won't, get, I won't kind of spell that out for you, children around. And so the missionary said, listen, you're given a bad impression of, of Westerners and of Christians too. You know, I, I'm a Protestant, you're a Catholic, but you know, you, you're giving a bad impression of us as Christians. And the Frenchman replied, you know, he said, oh, it's, the good God will forgive me. That's his job. Wow. And you see, there's a, there's a mentality that's in parts of the church to this day. It doesn't matter what I do because God's good, isn't he? God is good and has given me his grace and what I do matters. It does matter because he empowers me to live a new life, not keep living the old life. Grace is sovereign. God sovereignly decides to whom he will be merciful and show his goodness. 
He chooses to those to whom he'll be gracious and show his love and mercy and save from their sin. In Romans 9 to 11, Paul explores the mystery of the hardening of the Jewish people whilst the Gentiles are being brought into the Israel of God. And then finally, there'll be a, an awakening of the Jewish people to faith in Messiah so that all Israel are saved. Amen. Jewish people, Gentiles added in, Israel, you know, natural Israel finally being brought back home as well. That's the way I read it and see it. But he also there explores the mystery of God's gracious election. Even down to an individual level, he chooses to show grace and mercy. He calls by his grace and equips by his grace and empowers by his grace and changes people. Listen, you can hear the gospel and hear the gospel and hear the gospel, but the only reason you respond, wow, and wake up is because God's grace just caught you. The Holy Spirit just works something in you. Because you would be deaf to it until you hear it. You would be blind to it until you see it. And that moment was the work of grace. How many of you can remember the moment you believe? Good. See, grace is redemptive. Grace rescues and redeems us. We'll go to Romans 3 here. Bit of Romans 3. Romans 3. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. I'll save you all the references that Paul's just put in there from all over the Old Testament. But those who have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, through trusting in the crucified Savior. God presented him as a propitiation. That's, that's a covering of blood. There was a mercy seat in the, in the tabernacle, there was an ark of gold and a tablet of gold over the surface of these things. The broken law was inside it. God was looking down. There was this gold table and inside was the broken law. All the people had broken his law. But once a year, the priest put a covering of blood. This is a messy business, folks. Covering of blood over the mercy seat. That was called propitiation, mercy seat. God made Jesus our mercy seat. Through, and so through faith in his blood, we can be called righteous. To demonstrate his righteousness because in his restraint, God passed over the sins previously committed. God presented him to demonstrate his righteousness at this present time. So guess what? So that he would be righteous. He'd be just. He'd be fair. He'd do what is true and declare righteous the one who despite his sin, his record, his history, his list of offenses has trusted in Jesus and therefore is declared righteous. Despite the history. Yeah? What do they call it when you, you, know, you go into court and you've got all these other offences to be taken into consideration? Your charge sheet, isn't it? Your charge sheet. Despite my charge sheet, I am justified freely through the grace of God because of Jesus, and all I have to do is trust in Jesus. We read it earlier, Romans 5.18, where sin multiplied, grace multiplied even more. We're going to come back to grace reigning next time. Grace is God's favour towards us. Grace is not a one-event thing. It seems to me that evangelicalism, particularly in the UK and in America, uh, that's not to say the charismatic world, it's the evangelical world, the non-charismatic world particularly, has historically kind of almost overemphasized conversion, the moment of coming to faith. 
giving the impression that in that moment you got all you will get, you were changed all you will be, and all you've got to do is now hang on to your, feet, your ticket to heaven. Yeah? It's, it's like, that's it. But if you have an understanding of grace as something that keeps flowing from God, you can accept that there is an experience of being filled with the Holy Spirit, which is another, it's another thing in his grace. Yes. It's not, well, were you converted? Yeah, of course you were, but, you know, this is another, this is further grace. I count myself as an evangelical, but my roots go further back than that, and my favorite preachers and scholars are the 17th century English Puritans or the early 18th century American Puritan Jonathan Edwards. They would tell you very plainly in their writings, you do not get all God's grace in one bucket in one go. And that's it. There is a continual unfolding of his grace. And the more that you respond to that, the more you walk in that, the more you'll experience of it. Yes. You're either moving, you know, like the, the picture in Ezekiel of the river, you know, ankle deep, knee deep. You, you, you can walk into the river until you can't walk. You're floating. You're, you, you, it's too deep for you. That's a picture of, this, of the work of the Spirit of God. Yes, it's also a picture of the grace of God. There's more grace than you can ever need. Do you get that? More than you could ever need. We grow in grace and receive grace upon grace. Love this verse at the beginning of John's Gospel. It's poetry in the Greek. We have all received grace after grace from Christ's fullness. That word, that word fullness is an amazing Greek word. The law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Oh, we got a good deal, didn't we? Yeah. We got a good deal. We weren't placed under the law. Circumcision and food laws and keeping the Sabbath and all of that stuff. It's law. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Let me point this one out as well. If that kind of old-fashioned attitude of, well, when were you born again, you got it all then, bro, that's it. That's all you, you go, go, go on with that now, kind of thing. If that is true, why do the apostles start every one of their letters by saying grace to you? To people who are already Christians? More grace to you. You know I use that one, don't you? I kind of usually sign things off grace to you. Why? Because I'm wishing you more grace. I'm wishing you more grace. You might have right now all the grace you think you want, but you actually need more than you think you need. Yes. Amen. Grace is the ongoing favour of God, his goodness towards us. He does us good and works good for us. Therefore, we can ask of him and trust him and receive from him. How many of you ever read the book of Lamentations? Yeah, okay. If you've been through the Bible, you should have read it by then. Okay. Lamentation is written as Jeremiah who'd been prophesying about the coming fall of Jerusalem, captured by the Babylonians, and he'd lived through it. He'd lived through the siege of Jerusalem. He'd been rescued from being killed in it. And uh, finally they take him down to Egypt uh, by some rebels who kind of try, you know, rebel against the Babylonians. He wrote the book of Lamentations, which is a, a kind of weeping over what has happened in recent history, in his personal life. But right there in Lamentations, you're all looking forward to reading it now, aren't you? Right there in Lamentations, Jeremiah wrote this. 
because of the Lord's faithful love, we do not perish. For his mercies never end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. If your city is being pulled down around your ears, as we say, you can still be living in that daily grace of God. The children of Israel were commanded to go out and gather manna every day apart from the Sabbath. Their daily provision was provision from God, provision from heaven. They had to go and collect it. That reminds us the grace and mercy are new every morning to us as the children of God. In fact, one uh, recent preacher said, God deposits and directs new grace to you every day, but it's up to you whether you receive it. You've got to have an open heart and an open head. There's fresh grace available to us every day. That's why it's a good thing to pray, you know, something like the Lord's Prayer as a pattern prayer. Give us this day our daily bread. What's the daily bread? That's a reference to manna. I need your help from heaven today. Not just, not just food on my table and food in my belly. Sorry, good Midlands word there. <laughs> That's where I grew up. You need grace from heaven. You have no idea what you're going to face by the time you get downstairs and deal with the family. Could be a good start to the day, could be, could, may not be. Some of you are grinning now because you didn't have a good start to the day, I know. You have no idea what waits you when you walk into work. But you can walk in there charged with God's grace so that you are ready for the circumstance because you're equipped by God. Fresh every morning, fresh manner, Pick it up. Take it with you. God's grace. Give us this day. Give us this day. Our daily bread. And the best daily bread is not physical food. It's manna from heaven. It's grace. It's actually knowing Jesus. And trusting him and him being with you. We can say like the psalmist. that It was David actually. We believe to see the goodness of the Lord in this life. The old version says, in the land of the living. It's a bit fancy way of saying, in this life. Some people think, oh, it'll be all right when we get to heaven. I want some help here now. I don't know about you. Yeah, just a little bit. Yeah? And I'm in no rush to go to heaven, even though AEG is catching up with me in some ways, hearing and different issues. I'm in no rush to go. I'm, I'm, I'm quite prepared to carry on. So long as he's got it, I've got his grace. You know the great old hymn, Amazing Grace. His grace has brought us safe thus far, and grace will lead us home. I'm not worried about that last moment. I'm not concerned about, you know, the day of my death. It's because, like, like uh, what's it, William Booth's wife said, you know, if you, if you do the living well, the dying will take care of itself, or something like that. If you know how to live by the grace of God, the grace of God will accompany you in your last day. But remember this, that while we tend to be concerned for what God's work can do for us, because you know we're looking about our family and our needs and our problems and, and circumstances and cash flow and all sorts of things, so we're, our concern tends to be about what we want God to do for us. His overriding passion is what he works in us. 
grace that is received and that works in us and changes us and moves us through degrees of change and maturity. In fact, there again, Corinthians talks about from glory to glory. That's now, in this life, being incrementally changed, moved forward, growing in the grace of God. Now, I'm done for the day. These are going to be shorter sermons. You notice it's four pages, not six or eight. (laughs) (laughs) Down in the corner there, you can't see it very well. By his grace, for his glory. Grace and glory, those two words. Grace and glory. The grace of God will empower us to live now for the glory of God. So that when the time comes for us to depart from this veil of tears, this present life, and enter into the glory of our Father, we're a long way ready. Let me give that to you from the old American theologian, Jonathan Edwards. I love this expression. Grace is but glory begun, and glory is but grace perfected. Let's pray together, and then we're going to break bread. And we'll be finished earlier than usual. It is summer. Come on. Father in heaven, your grace is glorious, just amazing. We thank you, Father, that your love is extraordinary, wonderful, fierce, inspiring, awesome. But we don't approach it simply as sort of an issue of doctrine, like an object. We thank you that Romans 5 says that the love of God is poured into our hearts by the Holy Spirit. We can experience your love, feel it, know it. Starts with us simply knowing our sins are forgiven us because we've thrown ourselves on Jesus in simple faith. But then you call us to grow in grace and in the knowledge of God. You tell us that there are measures for us Grace upon grace, grace upon grace. New every morning, grace for us. Father, forgive us that some of us have fallen into a corner where we are living a stale life and not receiving what we, are, we should be receiving, fresh grace every day. I pray you'll continue to teach us over these coming weeks, Lord. But right now, this morning, I want to address anyone here who hasn't yet trusted yourself into the hands of the Lord Jesus. See, he's, he's righteous, upright, just. He will not ignore sin. He won't turn a blind eye, as we say to it. He won't wink at it. But he will forgive on the basis of this, that you trust in the crucified Savior. You dare to believe that Jesus died in your place 
for you. And that the covenant of grace is a door which is open to you through trusting in Jesus. If you will make that decision to trust him and call out to him, I dare to say this, you may even within a few moments feel very, something very strange. You'll say, where did that guilt just go? Where did that shame just disappear to? I know that was all true. It's still true. It still happened. But I'm no longer under a sense of debt. I no longer am under a sense of fear. God has forgiven me because of Jesus. Why don't you take a moment to speak to him right now? I'm not going to give you words here. Because this is not about picking and choosing the right words. And I'm a preacher. I, I use words. You use your own words. Choose some words right now to make your appeal to Jesus Christ who died on the cross for the forgiveness of sins and rose again so that you could live a new life. How much more will we be, will be saved by his life? Having been saved by his death, how much more will we be saved by his life? That means there's a new life for you through trusting in Jesus. Let's talk to him now. I'll give you a few moments.